Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad to see all of you here today. Uh, Weasel goes into a cafe, and the uh, server says, what do you have? And he says, pop. Pop goes the weasel. All right. Second service, like, I don't think they got it. Maybe they're getting it now as they're driving home or something. Um, so we're going to go ahead and receive our tithes and offerings. Ushers, why don't you come right on ahead, and let's give thanks on our offering this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that through it all, our eyes are on you, that no matter what the wind and the waves are telling us about our circumstances or about the world that we live in, our eyes are on you, and you are that one constant that you never change. Uh, you're the city that's built on the hill, that when everything is shaken, you are all that remains. And so we thank you for that. We pray, God, that you'd use our resources to uh, preach the gospel, that you would have it go around this world. You said that the gospel would be preached in all of the world, then the end shall come. And so we pray that you'd use these resources for that very end to the preaching of your word. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and enjoy our announcements. Good morning, everybody. I want to just take a moment and show you a photograph. When you look at that photograph, what period of history do you think that was from? Does that look like maybe Jews leaving Germany during World War II? Actually, that was from 2022, and that was refugees leaving the Ukraine. I am getting tons of emails from the Department of Missions and the Assemblies of God, and we're hearing from missionaries within the Ukraine, within Poland, and within Romania. Poland and Romania both taking hundreds of thousands of refugees. And so next week is our missions offering that we receive to support all of our missions. And I'm going to put that on hold so that next week offering will strictly be for the Ukrainian Refugee Project. So you do what God lays on your heart and next Sunday we'll receive a second offering that will go to the Assemblies of God Department of Foreign Missions. And I want you to understand that about 95 cents of every dollar given to the Assemblies of God Missions actually gets into the hands of our missionaries. Very little is used for bureaucracy and red tape. So let's pray for these refugees and let's give out of the abundance of the riches that God has blessed us with as Americans. So um, I remember, uh, I, I have the memory of an elephant. Um, I remember when I was a kid going to the zoo and seeing an elephant. Man, oh man, a guy asked me the other day if I'd be interested in a different power source, and I said, no, I like food. Um, so, <laughs> my sister loves those, I can tell. Um, I have the memory of an elephant. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I went to the zoo once and saw an elephant. Lady called the church and she said, I need $800. My fiance is in jail and um, I want to spring for him so that it's his birthday and we can celebrate under one roof. So sometimes people just need a break. So I forwarded some uh, currency and then she called back again and she was crying and she was angry. She said, I just got arrested. The money you sent me was counterfeit. And I said, well, yeah, I thought you said you wanted to have birthday under the same roof. So... <laughs> I'm going to start talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are three times in Scripture where the fire of God fell from heaven onto the edifices where his presence was going to be held. It happened in the Old Testament with the tabernacle of Moses. You remember the tent, the tabernacle that they would set up. Fire of God fell on it. God took up residency there in their midst. 
Then later on, under King Solomon, he built a permanent structure, the tabernacle in Jerusalem. When they were dedicating it, the fire of God fell on it, again signifying that his presence was there among his people. And then it happens in the New Testament on the book of Acts when the fire of God falls on the day of Pentecost and fills his church. That his presence is no longer in tents or buildings or structures, but his presence is now in the hearts and the lives of people. And we are that tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. That his, you know, we don't go to church, we are the church, right? And so I want to look at a couple of Old Testament types about the Holy Spirit because I really enjoy studying the scriptures to look at what's called typology, that this is a type of that. And in the scripture, so we're going to look at three different things. We're going to look at the we're going to look at Noah's dove. We're going to look at Abraham's servant, and we're going to look at the dedication of the temple and how this points the way from the Old Testament transitioning into the New Testament about this phenomenal experience of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and us being the recipients of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So as I get ready to talk about the dove, uh, you know, some people say, well, that's kind of like a cultic because, you know, it's, it's the worship of animals. Well, I mean, you know, Jesus is also referred to as, as the Lamb of God, so, you know, we don't want to get crazy about that. Uh, all four Gospels say that the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. It didn't say it was a dove. It says it descended as a dove. Most theologians believe it was probably more the effervescent, luminescent, shimmering glory of God that pulsates. As a matter of fact, in Genesis, it says after creation, the Spirit of God brooded or hovered over the waters. And in the Hebrew, it literally is like a pulsation. You could say it's like the flapping of wings, but it's just this, this presence of God's glory. In the Hebrew, it's literally called the Shekinah glory of God. And it literally, sometimes it's called a cloud, uh, but it's referring to this effervescent, luminescent, shimmering, heavy-weighted presence of God's glory. Um, and so when we talk about the dove, uh, it's interesting, as I was doing some studying, it's interesting to know that a dove has nine primary feathers on each wing and five primary feathers on the tail. And I think that's so cool because the Holy Spirit gives to the church nine gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12, and nine fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5 that have to be in balance, right? You can't fly with one wing. You have to have both wings for balance. And then the tail feathers give direction and guidance, and those are the ministry gifts that says the Holy Spirit gave to the church, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist for guidance. And so here you have this incredible typology of just the dove, right? But uh, what we want to look at is we want to look at Noah in the ark and what happens and the significance of the dove. And so the first thing is that it's sent out and it only finds judgment and it returns. So this is the scripture out of Genesis chapter 8 verse 9. It says, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him in the ark and the water was on the surface of the earth. And then he put out his hand and he took her and brought her unto the ark to himself. And so the judgment has come, the rains have come, the skies have fallen down, the springs of the earth have blown open, the, the world is, you know, the planet is flooded, and, um, and Noah is, you know, floating around in this ark. It doesn't have a propulsion system, it is just floating by currents. And after a while, he sends out a dove, like, you know, we need to know if there's land. If it doesn't return, there's land. It returns. The reason it returns is because the only thing it could have landed on was the dead, decaying flesh of all of human and animal kind that was destroyed in the flood. And the dove is a clean animal, and it will not land 
on that which is dirty. Now, had it been a crow or a buzzard or something like that, yeah, but it's not. It's a dove, and it's not going to land on anything that's unclean. And this is what Jesus said in John 14, 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The Holy Spirit is not going to land on, flow through, or use people that are not first and foremost in a relationship with Jesus. A person has to be born again. Otherwise, in the eyes of God, they're unclean. And the Holy Spirit is not going to land on, on, on that kind of individual. So, so this is really significant. And this is, this is kind of talking about the dispensation of the Father. Of course, you know, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sometimes we don't actually include the Holy Spirit in our holy huddle and realize the importance that he has to play. So the Holy Spirit, God, Father, Son, all working together in creation. And this signifies sort of the ministry of the Father through the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters in creation. The Spirit of God is, is you know, here in this uh, dove being sent out. And uh, so creation and judgment. God judged the world with a flood, and that dove was not going to land on anything that was unclean. The second time was is that it found an olive branch, and it returned. So uh, Noah waits seven days. He sends the dove out a second time. Genesis 8, verse 11, the dove came to him towards the evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf, and no one knew that the water had abated from the earth. And so this is sort of signifying the dispensation of the sun, because it comes with an olive branch, and the olive branch represents peace, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Bible says, therefore, through his sacrifice, we've been justified and now have peace with God. Jesus said, I give you peace not as the world gives, but my peace remains. And so here's this now signification of the ministry of the Son. But again, it's through this dove that comes back with this olive branch signifying that, you know, the waters have abated enough that vegetation is once again growing and these kinds of things are happening. And then the third time it's sent out and it doesn't come back. It doesn't return. And this is so uh, typical of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 12 of chapter 8 of Genesis, it says, And he waited yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. And so this is so significant because in the book of Acts, when we get to chapter 2, and we have what's called the Pentecostal outpouring. And what does that all mean? It just means that Jesus was crucified on the Jewish feast day of Passover. Fifty days later is the Jewish feast of Pentecost, and Penta being, being five. Um, you know, we have the Pentagon, a five-sided structure in our government. And, um, and so it's just that's all it means. It means 50 days later, Penta, the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2. And that's where the term Pentecostal comes from, uh, right? And so uh, the Holy Spirit came, was poured out, and has not returned and will not return. As a matter of fact, by the time you sort of finish the book of Revelation and you get to Revelation 22, verse 17, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. And so no matter what you believe about the rapture, whether you believe it's a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture, a pan-tribulation, it's all going to pan out. No matter what you believe, there's always people getting saved even through the tribulation period that we read about in the book of Revelation. There's never a time when people are not getting saved because the Holy Spirit is still here. He's still convicting people of their sin. As a matter of fact, we read that the nation of Israel is getting saved during this time. That's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit and the bride, that's the church, they're together. 
the spirit is in the bride and so the holy spirit and the bride still on earth are saying come lord see if they were all in heaven at this point they'd be saying go but they're saying come so it's still here so the dove does not return the holy spirit has come and has not returned he's still doing his ministry in the earth today through you and i through the church so that's just like one typology that points of the significance of you know this dove signifying the holy spirit typology leading into the fulfillment that we're going to get into in the next couple weeks the next one is abraham's desire to secure a wife for his son isaac you'll find when you read the scriptures that there's always threes there's there's threes everywhere in the scripture obvious the trinity father son and holy spirit but here you have the patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob and abraham as a type of the the father figure wants to secure a bride for his miracle birth son isaac and this is a type of christ and so what he does is he gets his servant his most beloved servant and he sends him to go secure a bride for his son this is a beautiful picture of the holy spirit being sent out to convict people of their sin from every tribe, tongue, you know, ethnicity group, and reaping this thing called the church, which becomes the bride of Christ in a relationship, a covenant relationship with Jesus. And so when you read the story in Genesis chapter 24, it's so interesting, it's so significant, because this servant goes back to family members, back to trusted relations to find a bride for Isaac. And he makes this journey, and while he's journeying, he says, I need a sign. And he said, Lord, he said, let it be the woman that offers me water from this well that I'm at and offers to water my 10 camels. You know how much camels drink? You're drawing water at a bucket time out of a well, and you're going to water like 10 camels and, and, and uh, the servant. And he says, let it be a sign that the woman that does this, she's going to be the one. And so lo and behold, this girl named Rebecca is at the well. She sees this guy. And she says, sir, let me water you and your camels. And he's like, wow, God is so cool. God always provides. And this speaks to the fact that Jesus is looking for those people to be part of his church that are going to be in the business of watering. Now, let me just use another typology here that Paul uses in Ephesians 5, 26. So he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. So he calls the word of God water. You see, God wants people that are not only going to live by the word, but are actually going to water other people with the word. Because that's how the gospel is communicated. People don't get saved by osmosis. The Bible said it is through the foolishness of preaching the word that people are saved. And Paul said some plant and some water. And so here's the signal. You know, the, the, the ones that are, are willing to be people of the word of God, people of the water of the word of God, that's going to be the bride. And then what does he do? The Bible says that this servant of Abraham presents Rebekah with gifts. He starts giving her all these gifts, these treasuries from, from Abraham's storehouse. And what does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit gives to the church gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to the church. And then he asks her, will you travel back with me to meet Isaac and become his bride? And sight unseen, she says yes. Now, how many of you girls would do that? Like, hey, I got a man for you. Wink, wink, nod, nod. 
would you be willing to just marry him sight unseen? You know, you'd be like, you know, like, right? So, but, but this again signifies us because like none of us have seen Jesus and yet the spirit comes and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to journey with you through life and you go with me on this journey and I will usher you through this transition called death and I will present you to your husband sight unseen. And so this typology is just crazy. This is one of the things I love about the scripture, that it is the word of God. It is irrefutable. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's all sewn together really tight. You really can't pull it apart. People say, oh, there's all kinds of you know, inconsistencies. No, there's not. Really, when you look at it, there are none. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And it's just the word of God. And so all these typologies are there that happens. And we say, yeah, to Jesus. And we say, yeah, I, I, I want sight unseen. I believe in him. As a matter of fact, Peter says, even though you have not seen him, you believe in him. And how awesome is that? Because that is faith. And that's so important because really, that's what we do, sight unseen. But in a way, not really sight unseen. So there's this cool scripture where Elijah is a prophet of Israel, and he's got his next man in waiting, who is Elisha. And Elijah is going to be taken to heaven. And Elisha says this in 2 Kings verse 10, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. He says, um, he asks him, he says, can I have a double portion of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's on you? Elijah is a tremendous prophet of God. I mean, he's like signs and wonders and crazy things. And Elisha says, dude, can I have like dial it up and double portion? And so Elisha says, you've asked a really hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up, then it will be so for you. But if not, if you don't see me, then no. And so it's kind of like, if you see me, you'll get it. And, and yet Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do shall he do and greater because I go to the Father. And so one is saying, if you see me, the other one is saying, if you believe in me. So what they're getting at is that there are times where we see, but not with these. It's not a physical seeing. It is a spiritual seeing by and through the eyes of faith. I have not seen Jesus, but I have seen him through the eyes of faith and believe in him. And so this is what he's saying. Listen, if you see me, if you believe in him, you trust in me, I'll give you the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus received the Spirit without measure. And he's the one that baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, right? So this is, this is all really cool. So what he's talking about here is in order, you, in, we have to see Jesus with the eyes of faith because the first primary foundational thing is you have to be born again. In order to be connected with the Holy Spirit, you have to be saved. You have to be born again. And what does that mean? Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And, you know, what does that mean? He's talking about being born from above. And it means that all of a sudden, once we were blind, and now we see, not with these, but with the eye of faith, and even though we'd never seen him, we believe in him. We believe that when he died on the cross, he died for our sins, and we connect ourselves with him by faith. And we believe in him. You have to be born again. If you ever want to experience the things of the Holy Spirit, first step is you have to be saved. You have to be born again through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's just foundational. 
Now we're going to look at Solomon's temple and the dedication of Solomon's temple. And again, this is so, this is so cool. Second Chronicles chapter 5 is where this story begins to um, uh, pan out. And it says this, it says, When the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to division. So what does that mean they sanctified themselves? It means that they were in a relationship with God under the old covenant. It's kind of like be sort of similar to being born again in the new covenant. They're, they're in a relationship with God. They're clean. They're pure. They're observing God. It goes on into verse 12, and it says, All the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jedithon, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen. And here's where we make a connection back to Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, talking about the church. And to her, the church was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the linen is the righteousness of the saints. We see this thing about fine white linen. What does that mean? The linen is the righteousness of the saints. You see, the Bible interprets the Bible. You never find the interpretation of the Bible outside of the context of the Bible. The Bible interprets itself. That's why the Bible says study to show yourself approved. If there are things in the Word of God you don't understand, just put them on the back burner and keep on reading and keep on studying. The Bible interprets itself. You will find more and more meaning the more and more you grow and learn about the things of Scripture. And so that's what he's talking about. These priests are righteous under the law in the Old Covenant. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. 2 Chronicles 5.12 and all the Leviticus singers, Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, and their sons, kinsmen, clothed in fine linen, with cymbals and harps and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing the trumpets. There is nothing in the Word of God that's just there haphazardly. Like, God didn't just interject stuff in there just because there's, I'm just throwing junk out there. It's all connected. This thing is wrapped up tight with a bow. 120 priests. What's the significance of that? How many people are in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 that get filled with the Holy Spirit? 120. What is the biblical meaning of 120 when you look at biblical numerology? 120 always means a new era, something new happening. In other words, it was 120 years when God said he would destroy the earth with a flood to when it was actually destroyed with a flood. And then it created a new era. Moses was 120 years old when he died, and Joshua took over and took the Israelites into the promised land, a new era. There was 120 years when Israel came into its zenith year of power under King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, and then under King Solomon, the kingdom was divided, and then you had the 10 northern tribes of Israel, the two southern tribes of Judah, a new era, a bad one, but nonetheless, a new era. So it signifies a new era. The, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of Acts in, in Acts chapter uh, 2, a new era, something that has never happened on planet Earth, is now happening, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It goes on in chapter 5, verse 13, in unison with the trumpeters and singers, they were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and glorify the Lord. So now the trumpeters and the singers are in unison with one voice. You see, Fallen flesh always seeks individuality, not unity. I want my way. That's the, that's the enemy. You can't have a good church split without the enemy being involved, causing people to want their own way. I want my own way, or I'm taking my toys and I'm going home, right? And so that's not how God works. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the very first line is, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. 
What's that signify? There was unity. They had a common vision. They had a common goal. This is what unites the church, that we have to understand our whys. We have to be able to answer our whys. Why do we exist? Why am I saved? Why am I here? Why are we together? Why is there this thing called the church? Because there's a vision. There's a purpose. There's a destiny. And when we start getting in touch with that and in track with that, all of a sudden, things start meaning things that they didn't mean before. We start seeing things in a different way. It goes on, back to Second Chronicles. This is a dedication of the temple. When they lifted up their voice, accompanied by the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music, they praised the Lord, saying, Indeed, he is good, his loving kindness everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. This is the fire coming down. This is the shimmering Shekinah glory of God, that effervescent glory filled you know i don't know how to describe it because even in the hebrew it's just shekinah glory like you work it out right what does it mean and so it fills the house of the lord what does it say in the book of acts chapter 2 that the holy spirit filled the room that they were in and then filled them do you see this typology of like holy smokes this isn't something like that is completely bizarre and out of reality this is something that has so much typology and so much forward momentum that when it happens especially to the jews they would have been like i get it because what did peter get up and preach he said men of israel when, when when you know this whole thing happened and a crowd assembles well he says men of israel this is what was spoken by through joel the prophet like this isn't catching you off guard. This isn't something new that God's springing on you. This is God's predestined plan, and He's working it out. And it was it was announced ahead of time. And so here they are worshiping, and they're in one they're in one place. And, and then the very next verse says, "And the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. They couldn't stand. They were down for the count. There's this thing in Pentecostal churches, it's called slain in the spirit. Nobody can understand it, but sometimes we have altar calls. We lay hands on somebody to pray for who knows what. And boom, they go down. The glory of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit just overrides all their senses and they go down. They just turn into jello and, and they're down for the count. I remember the first time it happened to me, I was at a men's prayer meeting and I was like, just saved. Like maybe a month, say, I was still probably doing drugs even. I mean, I was just like that newly saved. And I went to a men's meeting and they're like, hey, Ken, why don't you pray for this? There's this teenager there. Like, why don't you pray for him? And I'm like, sure, why not? You know, I just put my hand on him and said, dear Jesus, boom, he was down. And I was like, what did I do? Like, did I just kill him? I didn't mean to, you know, I'm sorry. Right. And that kid was literally out for hours. They had to drive a car to the front of the church and pick him up like a sack of potatoes and put him in and drive him home to his parents. And I can only imagine the story they told, you know, the parents like, oh, this big goofy guy prayed for me and I fell down, you know, like, oh, you know, sometimes this is pretty gnarly. So like we, so, so like literally last night as I'm falling asleep, I'm going over my sermon and I'm, I'm praying for God and I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me, signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. All through the scriptures, you hear signs and wonders, signs and wonders. And I'm like, what, what are signs and wonders? Okay, I know what signs are because I do a lot of hiking, and there's blazes, and there's Karens, and there's signs that give you the trail that you're supposed to be on, right? So I understand that. Signs are to point us in a direction. But what are wonders? They just make you wonder.
I know I shared this once before. A deacon in the old church I used to go to, his name was Ray Davis. The guy was a chemist from DuPont. He was a DuPont chemist. He was always in a suit and tie. Men's breakfast, suit and tie. Work day, suit and tie. That's just who he was. Cut in the dry, logical chemist. He's a scientist. And he was as old as dirt. And back in the, you know, I don't know, back like in the 40s or something, he went to a little Pentecostal church. He got invited to a little Pentecostal church. And you need to understand, like when the Assemblies of God started, they were the other church on the other side of town. They were always in the poor neighborhoods. And what they were doing is, you know, in the other churches, they had organ music and they were singing hymns and Gregorian chants. They were coming out of the bar rooms. They were taking the bar room songs that were really lively and they were just putting Christian words to them. Like that old song, I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly. That was actually a bar room song. And they just put Christian words to it and they were having a great time. So he goes to this little one room church building with a pot belly stove and he's like, these people are insane. And they start singing and this woman starts dancing in the spirit and he's like, tilt, tilt, like these people are just off their rocker. And uh, the woman dances over to the stove, opens the stove, grabs some coals in her hand, dances around the room for a few minutes, then goes back to the stove, puts the coals in the stove, closes the door, and that was it. That'll make you wonder. He got saved right then and there. Because his rational scientific mind just went till, till, till. How can God do that? I don't know, but he preserved three Hebrew children in the fire. And they didn't even smell like smoke, right? We read that in the book of Daniel. So God does wonders. And here's the thing, because he is wonderful. See, we use words like, oh, that was really wonderful. What does that mean? It means you're full of wonder, like, wow. And, and so, so the, the, Jacob is wrestling with the angel, who's actually Jesus in the Old Testament. And Jacob says, tell me your name. And he says, why should I tell you my name, seeing how it is wonderful? He is the wonderful counselor. Sometimes he just works wonders that make you kind of scratch your head and say, well, listen, the day you and I can wrap these little peanuts around God to understand him, he ain't God anymore, right? Like, like we're never going to... God is... God is not limited to his creation. He's transcended from his creation. So even though we would say the natural laws of thermodynamics means that if you grab burning embers in your hand, you're going to fry your hands to nothing, right? But not with God. He's not limited by his own creation. In the house is filled with the glory of God. Then we go back to Luke chapter 24, and what does it say? And they, after worshiping him, Jesus is resurrected, and they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. They're worshiping God. They're praising God. And that's what it said. The priest couldn't stand to minister because the house of the Lord was filled with the glory of God. The Holy Spirit filled the house. And so point number one was, listen, anything dealing with the Holy Spirit, number one, you have to be born again. You have to have come to the cross and, had a, and, and, and submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He saves you from your sin. You're under, you understand that. And you are running and cleaving to the Savior. The second thing is, is that worship creates an atmosphere to receive. Worship creates an atmosphere to receive. People say, you know, I like the church, but you sing too much. Well, we're not just singing. We're worshiping. We're from our hearts giving adoration to God. We're lifting our spirits we're lifting our souls up to God. We're blessing him for who he is, not contingent. Sometimes worship is the most powerful when you've had the crappiest week you could ever have. 
When the last thing you want to do is come in here and start singing songs. You don't want to do that. And yet, that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. Now listen, there's been some times where Sunday morning blows up in a million different directions, and everybody's up here, and there's technical problems, and everything's happening, and by the time worship begins, I'm just like this. Like, I'm already, steam's kind of my ears, I'm red, I'm like, you know, let's get this thing over with, and I'm going home, right? And then I'll say, this is the best time, Ken, for you to just begin to worship Jesus. Like, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and I just begin to lift up God. Worship is, oh man, I could just preach... So I could go on for hours and just talking about the deliverances and the experiences that came to me through worship. Got delivered from drugs through worship. Uh, had experiences with God through worship. It's so important. So, 10 reasons why everybody should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next two weeks, we're going to get into it a little deeper, right? Number one, if Christ and the apostles needed him, then we do too. Jesus did not start his public ministry until he was baptized in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit came upon him. Boom. After that, it was game on. He's casting out devils. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's preaching the gospel. It's game on. Same thing with the apostles. Don't even leave Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Right? And so the apostles received, the women who followed Jesus received, Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you're Catholic, big shout out. Ooh, ooh. I was raised Catholic, right? Mary's like everything in the Catholic church. You know, my mom was like Mary crazy and stuff. It's cool as long as Jesus is Jesus and you get that all worked out. But right, so when they find out that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues, boom, it's in the scriptures. Yep, drop the mic. Um, number two, the Holy Spirit gives power to witness. You can never intellectually argue a person into faith. That's why the Bible says so many times, don't be argumentative, be gentle, you know, because it's not going to happen. You'll get mad and you'll start, you know, you can pound somebody over the head with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believed in him, not should perish, and have everlasting life. Boom. They're never going to get it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the light comes on. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the conviction. You can't convict a person. They're blind. Blind people don't see. They don't perceive. They don't understand. And it's got to be the Holy Spirit that does that. So we need that power to witness accurately. The Holy Spirit gives power to live a holy life, a separated life, living for Jesus. It's all about living for Jesus, a greater intimacy. The Holy Spirit is a comforter that will stay with you forever. Life reigns on the just and the unjust. Life is difficult. And the Holy, listen, human love, human relationships will fail you. I don't care who, what they are. The, the best marriage has arguments, right? Can I have an amen? Well, if you're sitting next to your spouse, I can understand why you're not going to say amen right now. But, um, but, but yeah, you're nodding your head and inside you're going, mm-hmm, get you. Um, so, right, so if that's, just, that's just human experience. But the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete in the Greek, which means one called alongside to help you. That's why he's called the comforter. He's there to comfort you, to lift you up, to help you always. Number five, the Holy Spirit is the refreshing spoken of in prophecy. Listen, you might be here today and, and you're there. You're just dry. You're tired. You're stale. Your walk isn't what it should be. You know it's not, and you probably don't even care. We all get there. Right? We all go through wilderness experiences where it's like just dry. But the Holy Spirit 
Jesus said in John 7, whoever thirsts, let him come unto me. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Thus he spoke of the Holy Spirit. Refreshing. As a matter of fact, Peter says this in Acts 3.19. Repent therefore and return that your sins might be wiped away in order that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. We all need that. We all need times of refreshing because this life wearies us. It runs us down. You know, we just see the conditions of the world. It grieves us. We see the conditions of sin. It grieves us. We need these times. Number six, the Spirit will quicken your mortal bodies. The Bible says if the Spirit of if the, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he'll quicken your mortal bodies. And that's talking about not only resurrection life, but healing. Because Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we're healed. And he's quoting Isaiah, by his stripes, by his scourging, we're healed. There's healing that is available in the covenant, in the new covenant. And that comes through the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe this morning you need something from the Holy Spirit. You need a, a touch. He's here. Number seven, the Spirit is here to guide you into all truth. Listen, if the pandemic taught us anything, it taught us that both sides were guilty of misinformation and disinformation, right? Like everybody was so confused. One week it was wear masks. The next week, no, they don't work. The next week it was wear double masks. The next week, I mean, it was just like, right? Am I the only one that like after a while it was like, oh, just let me die. Just let me get it and die. I mean, I don't care, right? It's like, it's ridiculous. Fauci, I, I you know what I'm saying? I'm not, not going to say anything about who he might be. And I'm just thinking, uh, right? It, it was just, it's just insane. And, and, and it's still kind of like crazy insane. Um, but we learn that, like, where do we find truth? Where do we find truth? Well, the Spirit guides us in all truth. Jesus said this, John 16, 12. I have many more things to say to you. You cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth, for he'll not speak of his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so that's why these discovery groups are so important. We've got like over 80 people in 11 different groups. You can still get involved in one. This week, we're going to be doing this message in discovery group. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And um, so that's what we do. We're looking at the scriptures in real time, and we're saying, what do you see? And so we're forced to look at it and say, God, like reveal something to me right now. And guess what? He does. This is how God speaks to you is through his word. That's how he speaks to me. Like, it's not like, you know, hey, Ken, what you doing today? You know, it's, <laughs> it's more like, you know, oh, he who sins will die. I mean, you know, this kind of stuff, and that convicts me, right? So, so that's how he speaks to us through his word. And, and truth, this, thy word is truth, the scripture says. So we need to be in truth. You need to be in a discovery group. That's all, period. You really do need to be involved in the discovery group. They are awesome. The other thing is supernatural prayer. Supernatural prayer. The older I get, the more I realize that I think I might have been ADD. But see, I went to Catholic school and you weren't allowed. They would beat that out of you. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I didn't have ADD. I was the sharpest attack, right? But oh, squirrel, right? So, but the older I get, I'm like, holy smokes. Like, I can't keep a train of thought longer than three seconds. Like, you know, and squirrel, you know, it's like, um, it's horrible. And so it happens in prayer. 
Now, come on, if you ever prayed, you know that you start praying, and the next thing you're, you're like, Jesus, oh, man, that family in the church, they're going through such a hard time, and I wonder what that noise is in my truck that I've been hearing lately. You know, it, it like, just happens, or like, I'm in prayer, like, you know, oh, God, we need an outpouring of your spirit. Oh, I forgot to do that, and I need to tell Darlene that, and I need, right? Like, and listen, and the enemy is right there to always encourage that kind of stuff, because he's trying to disconnect you from your power source. But the Holy Spirit gives a supernatural prayer. Praying in tongues, the Bible says my mind flatlined. Like, I don't even know what's going on up here. And that's great. Ladies, this drives you crazy because you'll ask your husband, what are you thinking? And they'll say nothing. And that ticks you off because your mind is so integrated and firing all the time that you don't realize that, yeah, we do have a little area that we can think of nothing. <laughs> what do you think about when you're there thinking nothing? Nothing. That's why we can stand by a river and fish for six hours straight. <laughs> it's, it's actually really, really cool, you know? And that's why when you come in, ask me, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. So the spirit of so the spirit guides the truth, supernatural prayer, Romans 8, verse 26. In the same way, the spirit helps our weaknesses, but we do not know what we should pray for. The spirit himself intercedes with groanings. Just, the Bible says Jesus groaned with inside himself at the tomb of Lazarus. Sometimes I just sigh like, like stress builds up, builds up. And I just, you know, and, and that's like the spirit of God prays through us and our minds doesn't even, doesn't even understand what we're saying. Now listen, uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues. And, and I don't know why mystical things freak people out when it comes to Christianity. They'll go to a fortune teller and have their tea leaves read and tarot cards read. They'll open up the astrology books and say, what happens to a Sagittarius? They die. Um, you know, so, you know, like all this crazy stuff. And yet when you hear mystical things out of the Bible, like there's this thing called praying in tongues. Oh, I don't know. I can't attend that church. We've lost more people out of this church because they've heard people praying in tongues. And yet it's in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you are a follower of Christ and you like reading your New Testament, you need to remember that the entire New Testament was written by people who spoke in tongues. Find one book that wasn't written by somebody who wasn't in the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues right? So, so, but we'll get there. I'll, I'll, I'll creep you up more later on. So, so supernatural prayer, Paul goes on and he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind flatlines. Don't even have to know what I'm praying. I'm just praying in the spirit. And the spirit is praying the perfect will of God. What is the outcome then? I'll pray in the spirit. I'll pray with my mind. I'll sing in the spirit. I'll sing with my mind too. I'll do them both. I got that option. And I don't have to just pray. I can sing. St. Augustine said, the man who sings prays twice. I love that. So powerful. Because there's emotion in it now. There's passion in it. Worship. Oh, man, I wish I could crack your brains open and pour in worship dust or something. Because we, we need to ramp it up. When people are... There's... Going to start preaching now. The Bible says that God enthrones himself over the praises of his people. Do you know what that means? It means that he rules over those that are worshiping him. Thy kingdom come on earth, right, as it is in heaven. And that's when things start happening. I've seen people healed, baptized in the Holy Spirit, delivered, blessed, 
just everything without anybody even praying for them just in the atmosphere of worship because i'm giving myself to jesus and he says draw near to me and i'm going to draw near to you you bless me and i'll bless you more than you could ever imagine and you might be here tonight and you need a miracle from god or today and god's going to meet you you might be you know you might be dry like i said earlier and god's going to meet you i'll tell you this is this is going to be really really exciting number nine to operate in the gifts the holy spirit he gives us the word of wisdom word of knowledge faith gifts plural of healings plural miracles distinguishing of spirits tongues interpretation and prophecy i've had so many people come to me i, I can discern spirits no you just got a critical spirit um so and then uh, but there is a gift there and number 10 to produce fruit to produce fruit Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. I need every one of those things. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit produces it. Sometimes we say, I think I need more patience. I'm going to pray for patience. Don't do it. You'll get every red light from here to California. I promise you. Don't, don't do it. Let the Holy Spirit develop it in you. I've never walked by an apple tree and heard it going, trying to grow fruit right it just grows it naturally and when we trust the holy spirit it just happens funny story my my grandson he's like two two and a half and around there and uh, he's right at that potty training age and so janelle is kind of like in tune with the cues and the other day he was like in the corner and he was squatting and she goes are you going poopies and he goes no I should make fun of that because I'm getting at the age where it's like I'll probably be like, Darlene will be, you going poopies? You know, hey, you come in, you come in bald and in diapers and you go out bald and in diapers. That's all, that's all I can say. So, uh, okay, we have digressed and come to train, the train has come off the tracks. Two closing scriptures, two closing scriptures. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered and he said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is the one. That, I love what somebody once said. The greatest gift that God gives the world is Jesus. And the greatest gift that Jesus gives his church is the Holy Spirit, right? And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter said to them, "Repent, let each of you be baptized in the name of the Holy uh, in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." So I am not going to pray for anybody this morning to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to wait uh, until we have a couple more messages under our belt because faith comes by hearing, and I want you to hear more. But I do want us to just kind of conclude with just a, a quick time of refocus, just a time of prayer create an atmosphere of worship as a matter of fact i'm going to ask you to just get out of your chairs and come forward and stand let's 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 create a holy mosh pit right um we used to do this and we've gotten away from it and people no longer understand the power of altar calls but there's just something about getting out of your your chair and just come up here and we're just going to sing a couple of songs uh, luckily i didn't throw my music away like i did dave's um but <laughs> Ken, is that on? So worship is just singing songs to Jesus. And I want you to just lay aside the day, the frustrations of your life, 
the things that are calling for your attention and just focus in on the Lord for a moment and just um, and just let him touch you. Like I said, maybe you need a refreshing, maybe you need a healing, maybe you need a miracle. Um, it doesn't matter. He is the, the, the need meter. So we're just going to just sing a couple of songs.